We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. So much of this letter is about the ministry you know, where Paul is trying to just share with the Corinthians that, that he really is called by God, not for his own benefit, but I believe and I think his motives were pure, for the benefit of the people. You know, uh, there were some in the congregation, there was a, a minority that was still unrepentant and resistant to his leadership and to his apostleship. And so he writes this letter to try to reach them. And, uh, and we learn so much about the ministry. I was thinking... It would be kind of like learning basketball from LeBron James or, you know, Stephen Curry or, or something like that. I mean, wouldn't that be cool, learning to play basketball from those guys, you know? Or, or um, I don't know, you just think of whatever the best deal is, is in whatever the field might be, and, uh, and you learn, you know, from them. You know, for us, the model of the ministry is Jesus Christ, right? But when you look at Paul, you find he was such a, a faithful servant to the end, and he died with integrity. And that's why I like this letter because you're going to learn a lot about the ministry from this guy who knew the ministry so well. And we're going to see in the beginning of our passage today, he's going to be uh, preaching. Uh, he wants the people to, to make sure that they don't receive the grace of God in vain. And I believe that that's speaking to the lost. I believe it's speaking to the church that sometimes is lazy. Uh, I, I think he's also talking to uh, the backslidden. You know, I was uh, talking to my son on the way over here, and it's just kind of like in, in every church setting, you're going to have different types of people. You know, you're going to have people here who are not really Christians. Bottom line is, they're just not. It doesn't matter if you've gone to church your whole life or this is your first time. You have to really examine yourself later in chapter 13, verse 5 of this letter. Paul says, examine yourself. Are you really a Christian? Examine yourself. Are you in the faith? And so, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you, you don't know whether you are go to heaven when you die. If you were to die today, you don't have that assurance. You know, let, let today be the day. Let today be the day that you get saved, that you get forgiven, that you're born again. Or if you're here today and you're a Christian, you're backslidden. You know, you're, you're distant from God. You're not where you should be. And that, I think, has many ranges. Some are out there, and they just know they're backslidden. Um, it's really obvious. Others, I think it takes a little more heart-searching, you know, where maybe you've been going through the motions. You've been going to church, but in all reality, you know you're not right with the Lord. You're not praying the way you should or in the Word. There's no passion. There's more of the world. You've got one foot in the, in the world and one foot in the church. And yet you're going to church on Sundays and maybe even on Thursdays or maybe you're doing other things, but you know you're backslidden. I think God's going to call you back. And even for some Christians who are just, and forgive me if I offend you, you know, but just lazy. They're just lazy Christians. They, they've been given a ministry and they've been given gifts and they're not, they're not serving the Lord. You know, and again, it doesn't always mean that you're, you're signed up with ministry through Calvary Chapel Almani. I mean, don't misunderstand me. I, I know that there's ministry out there, and I've seen it over the years, where people are serving the Lord with the gifts they've been given out there in, you know, other parachurch ministries or different ways. But, but you have to examine your life. Are you really serving God? Are you really exercising the gifts that He's given to you? Because... If you're not, then um, Jesus said you're wicked when you're lazy. And so we're supposed to serve the Lord. And so Paul begins, first of all, by preaching that we wouldn't receive the grace of God in vain. And then he continues today, we're going to see, by proving, just proving the fact that, that he was right on, that he was a real apostle of Jesus Christ. And so we begin in verse 1. Look what he says. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, 
In an acceptable time I have heard you, and the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, in the previous chapter, Paul had been dealing with the ministry of reconciliation, of salvation, of how, you know, those who have been severed from the Lord need to be saved. They need to be brought back. They need to be reconciled with God, right? And so here in verse 1, he identifies himself and his team, notice there in verse 1, as workers together with God, God's co-workers. Imagine that. How many of you here have co-workers? And you work with uh, people and you know, you're like, hey, you know, whatever the names are, you can think of their names. Well, when you're a Christian, you're working. You're one of your co-workers is God. You're God's partner in one sense. Uh, you read the same thing back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. The Bible says, for we are God's fellow workers. You ever think about that? You ever think about the Great Commission when Jesus left? Uh, he gave the final words, kind of in one sense. He says, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the, name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. That's a great work. But then he says, and lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Even today, even in the year 2015, we're co-workers with Christ. It's a co-mission, right? And I think it's helpful to remember this, that this is a co-mission and that we're not alone. And that I think it's helpful to remember that we not only work for God, but we work with God. And, and, and it's also helpful to remember, just in case you forget, that it is work, that it, we are workers. How many of you here like work? Out of curiosity, anyone here doesn't like work? You're like, no, I'd rather kick back, right? You know, the, the word workers itself, one man said, is important. There is something good and important in work itself, so much so that God wants us to be workers together with him. He said God's best for our lives is never a state of ease and comfort and indulgent inactivity. No, we're workers and we work for God, we work with God. And, and, and one last thing here. Paul never said that God works together with us. It isn't our work that God helps us with. It is his work that he asks us to do together with him. So instead of trying to get God to help us with our work, we need to first find out what God's work is and then go and work with him. You know, a lot of times people, what they end up doing is they, they make their decisions, they come up with a great idea, and they ask God to bless their great idea. They ask God to bless their work. When we shouldn't go about it that way, we should join the work of what God is doing. We have to really pray about God's leading in our life. You know, we saw last time we studied this passage that as God's workers... In one sense, we're beggars. And I'm still, I still have it in my heart. And I'm thinking, I don't know how you guys, maybe you can, I don't know, I don't have to please you. But, you know, to get a sign and to stand by the freeway and just say, I beg you, you know, get right with God. You know, something like that. Because we're, we're beggars. We see that when we read the scriptures. We plead, we urge, we beg. And, and what we find is that Paul isn't too proud to beg when eternity is at stake. And, and even here we read that he begs the Corinthians. Notice there in verse 1 again. We then as workers together with him, speaking of God, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And one translation puts it this way. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's grace and then ignore it. And this is why I was telling you about the, the preaching part of it, you know. I think this right here is a message that has many applications. You know, this is a great concern of Paul. If, you, if you're taking notes, you might want to write down these passages. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 2. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, and verse 2. 
Galatians chapter 4 and verse 11. Philippians 2 verse 16. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 5. And that's not all of them. That's probably just the most significant ones. Where Paul is writing to the church and he's, and he's just concerned that they've received the grace of God in, in vain or they're on the verge of doing so. You know, what does it mean uh, to receive the, the, the grace of God in vain? Because Paul is so concerned as a worker with God, begging them not to do so, not to receive this grace of God in vain. And, and, I'll, and I'll share with you a, a couple of things. I, I think in, in context here, uh, two things stand out. One is a, a service and the other is salvation. Service and salvation. Now, one of the reasons I think service is so significant is a, is a strong cross-reference. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at what Paul said in verse 10. He said, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. See, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul, he kind of lays it all out. Man, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I'm saved. And all the things that the Lord has done in my life. But that grace towards me wasn't in vain. That grace worked in me in such a way that I labored and I labored and I toiled exhaustively. I labored more abundantly than they all. But it wasn't me. It was the Lord. See, God got all the credit, got all the glory. But Paul, he responded that way. And, and in looking at this, you guys, I think we have to examine our life. I mean, seriously, you know, he saved you. He died for you. He died for all the people in the world. He wants everyone to get saved. Am I lazy in my Christianity or am I laboring in my Christianity? You know, when, when God saves me and I'm not doing anything about it and I'm not serving the way that I should, then I'm receiving the grace of God in vain. I think it has a lot to do with service. You know, sometimes I think that people think that it's supposed to be easy, it's supposed to be convenient. And it's not that way. That's not life. It's been said the world is run by tired men. But especially in the ministry, what you'll do is you'll draw your strength from God and he'll help you to do everything that he calls you to. It's, it's service, but I, I have to also say it's salvation. Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, that's what he says. In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You see, Paul quotes from Isaiah 49, verse 8, and he does so with, with urgency in his heart, you know? I mean, you know, what time is it? And you're like, it's 9.52, man, are you almost done? And no, you want to know, next time someone, they, you ask, they ask you what time it is, you could tell them this, it's the acceptable time. It's the acceptable time. And, and if they ask you, what day is it? Then you can tell them what the Bible says, that it's the day of salvation. That's where we are right now. The day of salvation is not just near, it's here, it's now. The time is today. In Christ, we can be accepted because now is the acceptable time. And that's, we got to know that, you know, partially because Jesus came the first time as the Lamb of God. We're living in that era, in that season. And, and another reason why today is the day of salvation is because none of us know if we have tomorrow. That's not promised to anyone. Let's just say you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you're not a Christian, maybe you've been religious all your life like me. I went to Catholic church all my life. I went to parochial school, you know, here and there. I did my first, you know, Holy Communion and all those kind of things, right, and confession. But I didn't know the Lord. 
And so let's just say you're here today and you're like, you know what, I don't know for sure whether or not I'm, I'm really saved, whether I'm really going to heaven. You know what, what I want to encourage you to do is listen to what Paul is saying. He's saying then today's the day. Today is the day of salvation because you don't know if you have tomorrow, right? One guy said today is indeed the day of salvation because there is no guarantee that any sinner will have the opportunity to be saved tomorrow. What are you going to do tomorrow? You're going to go to school. You think they're going to offer you salvation at school? You're going to go to work. You think someone's going to invite you to get saved at work? Probably not. You're going to watch television. You're going to go here. You're going to go there. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. There's probably not going to be an invitation for you to receive the Lord. That's what's going on right now. The Lord loves you. And he's just saying, come to me so that you might be saved. Now the Bible says in Isaiah 55, verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. I've told you guys a lot of times that there's too many living in that nation of procrastination, right? I'll do it tomorrow. A lot of young guys are like that way. A lot of young you know, people are like, well, I want to have fun right now. I want to go get drunk and have sex and you know, get high. And, you know, and, and, and all those things, the only reason God doesn't want you to do those things apart from Him is because He knows that they will ruin your life. And whatever you sow today, you'll reap tomorrow. God knows that. You know, what I want to encourage you to do is just to know that today, that's what the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. How many people are in hell now because they said tomorrow? And tomorrow never came. Here we see Paul the preacher, man, and he just pled, don't receive the grace of God in vain. And we need to make sure we move from, theologians call it common grace, that's something that everybody experiences, to special grace, that's the cross of Christ. It's one thing to hear it, right? It's another thing to receive it. It's one thing to receive it initially, and it's another thing to abide in it daily, faithfully, and continually. Let me, let me give you real quick four things to consider regarding the concept of receiving the grace of God in vain. Number one, it's when the lost do not, do not take that opportunity to be saved. They hear the message, but they don't respond. That's taking the grace of God in vain. And you can read Titus 2.11. The Bible says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Number two, it's when the backslider doesn't return. They're far away and God's grace is there for them to get right and they don't do so. You know, if you're here today and you're backslidden, let me read to you from Joel chapter 2 and verse 12. The Bible says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. I mean, if you come back to the Lord today, He will accept you. He will receive you, right? If God's calling you back and you don't go back, then you're receiving the grace of God in vain. And, and then also, I think it's for the saved when they don't serve. God's given you so much. God's done so much for you. You were bought at a price, but you were bought at a price, right, to live your life for Him. You are not your own. And so you got to ask the Lord, how, how are you serving him? How has he called you to serve him? The last thing right here in that consideration is for the church at Corinth to acknowledge the special place and ministry of Paul, uh, to acknowledge the messenger in order to preserve that message. And I think that that's what Paul is speaking of as well. We're going to get into that because in verse 1 and 2, he kind of does the preaching. He's telling the congregation, don't receive the grace in God in vain. I, I beg you not to. We're working with God in this message and in this ministry. But then he goes on uh, after preaching. He kind of does some proving in, in, as far as whether or not you know he's real. And I think for all of us here, if we're called to be a minister, a pastor, a missionary, a leader, someone serving somewhere in the church, 
we can learn a lot from this. I, I know I fall short, but I tell you what, man, this is, is something that I want to take away uh, from. Look what it says here in verse 3. We, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. We'll pause there. You know, Paul basically says, in everything we do, in all that we are, we live our lives and we do our best to show ourselves to be true ministers of God. You know? And so you see this guy on television and he's, you know, got a, a show and he's teaching or, or whatever, the book, the church, that guy who claims to be a minister. Are they really a minister of God? You know? And, and some will look at the body and they'll say, well, it's a big body. They'll look at the building. They say it's a big building. They might even see the budget and there's millions of dollars. It's a good budget. Does that prove they're a minister of God? No. Number one, what do they believe? And number two, how do they behave? See, and for us, it's important. Because when that pastor is not really a minister of God, and then what ends up happening a lot of times is when they don't have this heart, they fall. They fall into sexual sin. They fall and they steal from the church or just some type of moral collapse. Or what ends up happening? The whole world then believes that, that Jesus isn't real. They take Jesus' name and they drag it through the mud. And that's not just for pastors. That's for all Christians. It's important for us to understand that. Warren Risby said this, One of the greatest obstacles to the progress of the gospel is the bad example of people who profess to be Christians. Unsaved people like to use the inconsistencies of Christians, especially preachers, as an excuse for rejecting Jesus Christ. Paul was careful not to do anything that would put a stumbling block in the way of either sinners or saints, he did not want the ministry to be discredited in any way because of his life. You know, and, and I just pray you guys, we would all have that conviction, especially if you aspire to be in leadership. You know, in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and man, he really, he sets his standard high. He says, when you hear these words and you do them, it's like you're building your house on the rock and one day when all the trials of life come, you're going to stand because you were obedient all those years. But if you're here today and you're involved in ministry and you hear the words of the Lord and you're not obedient to Him, you might be still building a house. But one day that house will fall because you weren't living the life of obedience. That's why it's so important to have that character in your heart. I mean, I know you guys, man, you wouldn't want someone not to receive the Lord or to stumble or to walk away from Jesus because you blew it. I mean, I was telling my son as a pastor and even as a pastor's family, and not to put pressure on him in any way, but we're like in a fishbowl. People are watching our life. You know, they watch everything, what car we drive, how we dress, where we live, what we say all our decisions, and part of me doesn't like it, but part of me accepts it, not because I, I, I like that in any way, but because I love Jesus, and I know that this is what he's called me to do, and it just goes with the territory. And so I want to try to be an example, even though I fall short. Man, I don't want to make anybody stumble. I think about that. I think about what would happen if I fell into sexual sin like a lot of these pastors do nowadays. Because, you know, they, they started looking at porn or they started flirting with someone at, at, you know, wherever, at the Starbucks down the street or, you know, they didn't guard their boundaries and they started counseling some woman alone. Not supposed to do that. And what would happen if I let my guard down and I fell? Imagine how many people would stumble as a result of that. And so, you know, I have the fear of God in my life. I don't want to sin against Him. I have the fear of my wife. I think she would, you know, hurt me, kill me, which is good. 
but also I don't want to do that to, to you. And in all reality, we shouldn't want to do that to, to each other because it hurts when things like that happen, right? I mean, here, Paul is just saying, I, I, I have to live my life and this ministry right here, it needs to be blameless. Verse 3, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we commend or prove ourselves as ministers of God. Now, of course, we know that Paul wasn't sinless. I'm not sinless. I believe more than likely every minister has made mistakes. But, you know, we, we should do our best to be blameless, right? And those are the qualifications of a minister. First Timothy 3, verse 10 Chapter 3, verse 2, people might choose to accuse Paul of things, belittle him, berate him, and they did so viciously. But if anyone would be willing to take an honest look at his life, uh, then they would see that he really was, these guys really were ministers of God and as such were, were godly. Remember what's going on there in Corinth is they were talking smack about Paul. They were talking about him. And I, that happens, you know, in, in probably every church. I, I've never spoken bad about my pastor. I just think it's a, a scary place to be. I, I don't like to speak bad about any minister of God. If someone comes to you and they start saying something, I would encourage you, listen like this. This is how the rabbis would listen. They would listen covering one ear because there's always two sides, right? And that's what we need to do. And you know, verses 4 through 10 here, we have a list of 28 things that Paul penned to prove that he was a true minister of God. And, uh, and you know, if we covered every one of these, like for five minutes each, we'd be here till like 2 o'clock. Um, so we're going to just touch on these, and I think it's cool to look at, not an exhaustive list, but what are the things about the ministry? You know, let's just say you're here today and you want to be a pastor. Or let's just say you're here today and you're wondering, what's it like for my pastor or for these guys? Well, here, here you're going to see. Look again at verse 3. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. In other words, they, 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 he said we've got, we got to be blameless. But in all things, we commend ourselves or prove ourselves as ministers of God. And he begins, first of all, with some general uh, trials in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, and in distresses. And so he begins, first of all, with that word in much patience. The, the Greek word hupomone, it speaks of a steady patience. And this is what it means. It's, it's they endure. They endure the, the difficult times. Um, they're not splitters. They're not quitters. You know, when the going gets tough, they don't take off. Okay, this is a minister. He said, we endure this. We endure the general trials. Um, the, the word right here, hupomone, is a real interesting word. Because when you think of patience, you're like, oh, okay, I'll grit my teeth and bear it. But it has more of a victorious edge to it. A hupomone, it doesn't describe the frame of mind which can sit down with folded hands and bowed hand and let a torrent of trouble sweep over it in passive resignation. No, it describes the ability to bear things in such a triumphant way that it transfigures them. I mean, whatever the trial might be that you're facing, it's not like you're just like, you know, crumbling and trembling in the corner. You're kind of just... You know, crossing your fingers, hoping you're going to get through it. No, this word right here, endurance, it speaks you're victorious over it. Paul said that's who we were in tribulation. The word means a, press, a pressing together, the pressures of life in needs. You know, and, that, and a lot of times people think, well, if you're in the ministry, you're not going to have any needs. You know, you, you might. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul talked about Days that he was hungry, days that he was thirsty, days that he was poorly clothed, the days that he was homeless. I mean, you're, a lot of times people think, well, that can't be the will of the Lord. 
You know, when, it's the, when you're right on Christian, you're healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, man. No, this is a little bit of insight in the ministry. You endure those tribulations. You endure those times of need. Paul said, sometimes I have a lot, sometimes I don't. I learn to live either way. He uses the word distresses there. And that word speaks of calamities of every kind. It speaks of being in a narrow place. It actually speaks of places of anguish. I don't know if you've ever been there, but this is life. This is life for us as Christians. Later on, Paul's going to also uh, do something similar in which he kind of lists the, his resume, so to speak, of being an apostle. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you would. And just, uh, we're going to come back and forth here, but look in verse 27. He's talking about himself and weariness and toil and sleeplessness often and hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and nakedness besides the other things what come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. That, that in one sense is his distresses. You know, before I was a pastor... I worked at Vons. Before I was a pastor, I was in the produce department. And the only things I had to work about, had to worry about, were the apples. You know, I'm like, wow, is the apple table right? You know, or maybe the spinach or whatever. You go home and, man, there's no daily concerns. But when you get involved in the ministry, there's not a day that goes by when there's some type of, without some type of drama or things that are happening. And I think that the more you serve the Lord, the more you're going to experience these things. But back in chapter 6, it's just the beginning. Those right there are just the general hardships. Look next in verse 5 about hardships that are inflicted upon you from others. He says, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults. We have the initial struggles that might be considered general but then he goes on to speak of the struggles that are inflicted by others. You know, keep in mind that if you take a position spiritually in this war, then you will experience opposition from the enemy, which is what we see in this passage. You guys know what stripes are, right? It's not this right here, not like a shirt like this. It's beatings. When was the last time you were beaten up? You know, I mean, maybe we, we should. I think if you do a little bit more street witnessing, you know, that might happen to us. I know Christians, uh, we would probably not want this in our, in our you know, and under no circumstances. And yet this is what Paul experienced. You know, um, the stripes, the beatings, and we're going to see that later in chapter 11, verse 23 through 25, it talks about that. Uh, in prison, right? Put in prison. Maybe the day will come. And I, again, I don't say that I welcome it. I don't say that, hey, I wish, you know, I could get arrested necessarily. I mean, but, but maybe the day will come, huh? When we speak about the fact that, that, that homosexuality is a sin, that lesbianism is a sin. When we talk about things like abortion being murder, or, or even euthanasia, how it, it cancels out the sanctity of life. You know, when we just, you know, preach the Bible, we get arrested for it. That day might come, huh? For Paul, that, he, his, that was his life, man. The beatings, the imprisonments, uh, the tumults. And that's when he spoke and, you know, the people got angry, uh, Paul, Paul definitely was a man who didn't go with the flow. He was always too hot to handle. When you look at him in the very beginning, man, in Acts chapter 9, they had to let him out of the city in a basket. And then in Acts chapter 13, where they stoned him and left him to be dead. I mean, wherever he went, he was bold and he was opposed, right? Um, we see that from his first missionary journey to his last, from the Jews to the Gentiles, mobs of angry men, under the influence of evil, they came against him constantly. You see, general hardships, and then you see hardships brought on by the enemy, 
And then thirdly, you see hardships that are self-inflicted. Look there in verse 5. He mentions sleeplessness and fastings and labors. You know, and so when you're wondering, like, what is it about a, a minister? Well, number one, a minister endures the hardships, the general hardships. A minister will be opposed somehow, some way, because the enemy never kicks a dead horse. And then a minister will impose the hardships upon himself. I mean, a lot of us here, uh, and I'll be honest with you, man, I like, I like to sleep, right? I mean, I could fall asleep while I'm driving, to be honest with you. I might crash, but I, I, you know, I fight it. My son's all, wake up, Dad. You know, I want to live, you know. <laughs> you know but um, uh, there are those times where you can't. You've got to work late. You've got to rise up early where you can't sleep because something's heavy on your heart. You get up out of bed like you're supposed to and you get on your knees and you pray. There are those times where, you know, the Lord would want you to pray all night like Jesus did. Have you ever done that? And I always like to challenge Christians with that. Have you ever done that? You know, and you're like, well, it can't be done. Yes, it can. You know, you've got to seek the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And there are those hardships that are just general and those are hardships that others will inflict upon you. But when you're really a minister, proving your ministry, there are those hardships that you will inflict upon yourself. And that means when you deny yourself and you're working hard and you're sweating and you're laboring to the point of exhaustion for the gospel or maybe you deny yourself food or you deny yourself sleep, you say no to your body and what ends up happening is your spiritual senses are heightened. And if you're here today and your Christianity has been boring or dull Nothing really happening. You haven't really seen any miracles. It's because you're not seeking the Lord like this. And in, in, a, in, a, in just a, a simple way, I would challenge you to seek Him like this. Wake up a little earlier. Go to bed a little later if necessary. And I know others will tell you, well, no, you got to get your rest so you can function at your peak. Yeah, generally speaking. But there are those days where God calls us to deny ourselves and not have lunch or not have breakfast or not eat for a whole day. As a matter of fact, we're going to see later in chapter 11, Paul said sleeplessness often, fastings often. This is a, a true minister, right? We're working together with God. I remember this quote I read, and it's in that book, Spiritual Leadership, by Oswald Sanders. He said, heights attained by godly men were not attained by sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, toiled upward in the night. And there's a difference, if you want it or not. You know, they'll talk about, you know, teams in the NBA and whatever, football, baseball. And you want to know what, what, what the difference is between the championship team and the ones that, that aren't is just whether or not they're hungry for it. Whether or not they're hungry for it. Are they still hungry for that? And for us, I think the same is true. You know, are you really still hungry for the Lord? And Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, verse 20, the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. So we have the general hardships, hardships brought on by the enemies, and then the self-inflicted hardships. How was he able to endure all this? How was he able to do that? How can you come to that point? Is it when Manny kind of beats you up or preaches at you? No, huh? Because you guys know that I can share with you and I can whatever, say things that might make you feel uncomfortable. And you might just get mad at me. Or whatever, you can leave the church. But, but that's not going to change you. It's only the Holy Spirit that can change you. It's only the Lord. You know, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. And if you look at what, what we read next, look what he says in verse 6. 
by purity, by, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and, and on the left. And, and, you know, for the minister, these are so cool to look at these things and to be able to see, you know, what, what it is that would be inclusive within our lives as ministries, ministers. You know, and, and you look at all of them and you realize that what ends up happening is, I, I like what he says, the power of God. But I also like the fact that he, he mentions the Holy Spirit. Because I would say the Holy Spirit is the personal power of God. That we can't do anything without that personal power of God. He mentions the word of truth, and that's him speaking the word of truth. But that's also him knowing the word of truth. As a matter of fact, he, he mentions knowledge right there in verse 6. I mean, how can we be ministers without the personal power of God? How can we be ministers without preaching the word of God, without knowing the word of God, the deep things of God? This is where we need to be. How can we be a minister without purity? You know, as guys, and I don't know if girls, they probably do have the same struggle, but with guys, you know, you got the images everywhere. You're driving down the freeway and you got, you know, the images of those girls calling you to whatever that strip club is down the street or whatever, man. You can't even look at those things. You know, you got to just, you got to train your eyes to just bounce off, right? Because when you start feeding on those things and some guys think, well, it's okay to look, as long as I don't, you know, take an order from the menu, so to speak. It's not. It's not, because that's exactly how it starts. Men are visual. Men are very visual. And, and we have to stay pure in our thoughts. Right? Paul here is saying this is how we did things. In, in purity, by knowledge, uh, by long-suffering. Right? I mean, we don't have a short fuse. If you're a guy that gets mad right away, you're in big trouble. <laughs> right? we, we suffer long. We're kind. All this is done by the Holy Spirit. All this is done when God works in our life a sincere love, right? It's interesting. We're in verse 7, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Um, of course, it's speaking of the righteousness that's not only imputed to us but imparted to us. Uh, some people will say it's both offensive and defensive because with your left hand you had your shield and with your right hand you had your sword. And that's kind of how it is in the ministry. A lot of it is defensive, so to speak, but sometimes it's offensive and you have to go and take those steps of faith. And for us, you know, I'm really praying and hoping that there will be enough servants for us to do outreaches in the park here for the kids and Sunday night services with concerts and things like that. You know, that there would be more people coming to the JET team on Saturdays rather than just a handful of people. We should have an army of people who are taking the offensive. God's called us to this city. He wants us. And you, when you get a chance, you read Jeremiah 29, 7. He wants us to seek the peace of this city. We can do this, but I think we need to get not just defensive, but, but offensive. All this right here, in one sense, it reminds me of the fruit of the Spirit that's spoken of uh, in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. And it also reminds me of the fact that Jesus said, this is how you'll know when, when you have a true minister. If you go back to Matthew chapter 7, in Matthew chapter 7, remember what Jesus said here in verse 15? Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. See, and, and he's talking about false prophets. A lot of times people think, well, it's just false Christians. Yeah, but also false prophets who come to you and they just, they know the lingo and they know it well. And they have the, the, the disguise on. But in their heart, they have no, they are not interested. They don't have the best interest of you or this church. They want to devour. The Lord said, beware. Beware of them. 
He says right here, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. See, speaking of false prophets, back in 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says we, we, we got the fruit. Again, like I shared with you earlier, it's not the big building, it's not the big body, it's not the big budget, it's the belief and the behavior. That's how you'll know them. And it, Paul says if you take the time, rather than just listening to all the gossip that's out there, if you take the time to get to know me, Paul said you'll find that I'm not a, a sinless man, but... I'm doing my best, and, and I am blameless. God knows, right? And, and in one sense, it's kind of cool the way he closes it because he says, you know what, I, and I don't have a, a necessarily a good reputation amongst some, but it's okay because I, I have a good one with God. Look what he says in, in verse 8, 2 Corinthians 6, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Welcome to the ministry. Welcome to the ministry. Do you think that if you become a minister that everybody's going to say good things about you? Is that what you're interested in? Is that what you want? It, on the contrary, it's not going to happen, right? I mean, in verse 8, it's kind of interesting. He says, by honor and dishonor. He basically says, we serve God whether people honor us or despise us. You know, by evil report and good report, whether they slander us or praise us, it doesn't matter. As deceivers and yet true, um, some might regard Paul as an apostor. Bottom line is, he was a man sent by God. As unknown and yet well-known, and basically some saw him as a nobody, ignored him, even though he was well-known by God as dying, and yet, behold, we live. And one thing you'll find about Paul, and these are all kind of like oxymorons, paradoxes, in one sense, anomalies, he says, always, always close to death, but, man, we're still alive. As chastened and yet not killed. And, you know, that might speak of genuine chastenings from God, but when you take it in a consistent interpretation here, some might look at, at, at him and they say, oh, the troubles that he's going through, like Job, always oh, being chastened. Did you know that when Jesus died on the cross, they said he's being chastened? You read Isaiah 53, right? That's what they thought. Despised and rejected by men. And that's what they said about Paul, going through all the hard times that he was going through, or oh, God's disciplining him. When in all reality, he was right on. It wasn't that. It was just the trials and the way that the enemy was coming against him. It's so sad to read there in verse 10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, and, and I think that the, what made him sorry, what broke his heart the most, was the Corinthian congregation. The very people who should have been a blessing to him and an encouragement to him because he loved them and he served them were the sources of sorrow. But that's okay, he said, because I get my eyes back on the Lord. And when I get my eyes back on the Lord, I rejoice, right? As poor, and yet he says right here, here we are, we're just, uh, we're making others rich, right? And that's what we do as ministers. So we try to share the spiritual riches of Christ. You know, we ourselves are rich. We possess all things, in Christ we are rich. The Bible says we experience the riches of his goodness in Romans 2.4, the riches of his glory in Romans 9.23, the riches of his grace in Ephesians 1.7, 
and the exceeding riches of his grace in Ephesians 2 verse 7, the unsearchable riches of Christ in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8. And so, you guys, cool passage where Paul is preaching not to receive the grace of God in vain and, and where Paul is proving this is really what a true minister is. And he, and he proves himself there um, in the way that he lives his life. In closing, you guys, I, I want to encourage you to serve the Lord man with all your heart soul mind and strength find out what your gifts are and don't bury them find out what your talents are don't put them under the 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 carpet under the tent because one day you're going to give an account to jesus you know so serve the lord with all your heart And, and then if you're here today and and you're backslidden you know i want to i want to invite you get right with god before you leave today, pray with someone and just tell them. It could be a pastor up here or the person that brought you. But you just tell them, you know what, I need to get right with God. And if you pray right there with them, God, God will meet you there. And then if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you know, the, the Bible says that your sins have separated you from God. And your iniquities have separated you so that He can't hear but he died on that cross for your sins. Jesus did. He paid the price and and they put him in a grave. He rose again three days later. And the Bible says that as many as repented and received him as Lord and Savior, then the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You got you to gotta repent of your unbelief. You got to repent and just, you know, today, don't go back out there in the world the same way you came in. Don't go back out there getting high and getting drunk and having sex and doing all that kind of stuff or ignoring God. Make a decision today you know, to live your life for the Lord, to receive Him as your God. Make a covenant with Him. Lord, I thank You so much. Lord, for Your Word, for Your love, Your grace in my life. And I don't want to receive that grace in vain. I thank you for the challenge, Lord, even as a pastor, as a minister. I I know I fall so short. But, Lord, I pray uh, that I would take the things that I read today, that I studied this week, and, Lord, just take it to heart. I, I know I'm yours. I know I'm called. And I thank you for the work you're doing in the church, Lord, and your people. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them wherever they're at, whatever their needs are today by your Holy Spirit Lord I love you and I thank you so much I pray these things in Jesus name Amen We hope you were encouraged by this study If you have any questions please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414 Remember that Jesus loves you.